You know, growing up as a kid, Easter for me meant going to this small town in south central Missouri called Van Buren. It's a town where my mom grew up. And as a kid, we went there every weekend. But on Easter, I look forward to the big Easter egg hunt east of town. We would, after Sunday service, pile in the car and go to the east end of town and where men and women had hidden all over this huge field Easter eggs. Now, not these plastic eggs that we have today, but real eggs that had been dyed different colors. But the unique thing about it for me at that point was they had written on some of the eggs dollar amounts. Now, now mind you, it wasn't always full dollar amounts. It was like a tenth of a dollar and a quarter of a dollar, but some of them had full dollar amounts on them. And there were a couple that had $5 on them. You know, so as like a five-year-old, that was like a big deal. So Easter was amazing because then after you collected the eggs, you took your eggs over to the guy with all the money and you could cash in your Easter booty there. And so then you could go buy the candy that you really wanted to eat. <laughs> Easter was amazing as a kid. But I have to admit to you, as a kid, Christmas was better, right? Because at Christmas, you got money if you, were, if you were good, right? You got money, but you also got presents. So as a kid, Christmas was way better. Easter was great, but Christmas was better. But then, as I've gotten older, and I know maybe it's just because I've gotten older, things have changed. You know, Christmas isn't so much about the presents that you get, but maybe it's, a, it's more about the presents that you give. And, but don't get me wrong, I like presents, all right? My mom listens to these podcasts, so I want her to understand that I still like <laughs> presents, if you're listening, Mom. Christmas has sort of changed from my perspective. And I would say today, of the two, Easter is probably my favorite. Now, I know you're not supposed to compare them because they're both amazing days. Just think about it like this. Easter is not possible without Christmas. But Christmas makes absolutely no sense without Easter. And like I said, maybe it's just because I've gotten older and Easter seems to be more meaningful for me. But that happens, doesn't it? As we get older, perspectives change, and we see things different than we did when we were younger. And sometimes there are perspectives that you only get when you're older. Now, I'm not saying that the only right perspectives come with age, because history's proven that age can skew your perspective. No matter the age, your perspective could be skewed. But as you get older, things change. Would you agree? Here's the other thing. Time goes faster. You know, which is crazy because when I was younger, it couldn't go fast enough, right? I was pressing the accelerator and it couldn't go fast enough. 15, wanting to be 16. 18, couldn't wait to go to college. 20, couldn't wait to be 21. And then at some point, I don't know when, because they don't tell you, it goes faster. And you're looking for the break and you can't find it. And then one day you wake up and you're like, where did it all go? Where did the time go? I look at my wife and it's like, it was like yesterday that we just met. And that was 37 years ago. Life goes by in like the blink of an eye. And one of my favorite songs talks about that. It's a song by an artist named Kenny Chesney. And the song is Don't Blink. And the chorus of the song goes like this. It says, don't blink, because just like that, you're six years old, and you take a nap, 
and you wake up and you're 25 and your high school sweethearts become your wife. Don't blink because you just might miss your babies growing like mine did, turning into moms and dads. The next thing you know, your better half of 50 years is lying there in bed and you're praying to God that he'd take you instead. Trust me, friend, 100 years goes faster than you think. So don't blink. I can imagine the disciples having that same sort of sense on that Friday night after Jesus was crucified and on that Saturday, wondering where did these last three years go? It was like yesterday that he was calling our names to follow him. It was like yesterday that he was walking on waves and calming those waves. I thought we would have more time with him. I never thought he would die. And I think maybe it's because we're so familiar with the Easter story that sometimes we forget that it's about a man. It's about a man who actually died. It's about him and his followers, them seeing him die, but then seeing him risen to new life. Not just a near-death experience, but a real death experience, a brutal death experience. But then he was raised to new life. And when you think about that, you have to admit, that's kind of crazy. Right? And it's always been crazy. There was never a time where they said, oh, Zachariah, so sorry he's gone, but don't worry, he'll be back in a couple days. The dead stay dead. Until one day about 2,000 years ago. John tells us that that all changed. He says, the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so I turn to John chapter 20, starting in verse one in the NIV version I will read to you this morning. John tells us that early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. We're told in Matthew's gospel that when Jesus was put in the tomb, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sat across from the tomb and watched as they rolled the stone in front of the tomb. And so on this Easter Sunday morning, Mary's walking to the tomb by herself and she sees the stone rolled away from the entrance. And you can imagine her shock. And her first reaction isn't, he is risen. No, she says, somebody's taken him. Where have they put him? It's not, he is risen. Dead people stay dead. And so she takes off and she runs back to the disciples. And we're told that she goes and gets Peter and John. And the two of them take off sprinting toward the tomb. And surprise, the younger guy gets there first. Not that that bothers me, John Heglin. But why does he have to put that in there? I mean, I've seen no theological reason why that exists in there. <laughs> but then we're told that the older man, Peter, 
arrives to the tomb. And I would say the older, braver man, because he goes right into the tomb. He's not afraid. I'm just saying. (laughs) And then we read, continuing, then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Peter goes in and he sees something that's really strange. That Jesus' burial clothes, the clothes that he had been wrapped in, these strips of linen, the cloth that had been wrapped around his head are neatly laying in the tomb right where Jesus had been laid. And the fact that those grave clothes are lying there on the stone just like they had been around Jesus is evidence, I believe, that he had been risen from the dead. Think about it. If thieves had stolen the body, wouldn't you have expected at least the linen to be strewn around the grave and the body to be gone? Why would they have taken time to fold up the linen and put it back where it was? Or better yet, why didn't they just take the whole body, linen and all, and be gone? Why is there linen at all in the tomb? I believe there's evidence there that speaks to the fact that Jesus was risen from the dead. And the thing to understand is that the tomb was rolled open, the stone was open, not to let Jesus out, but to let others in to see what had happened. There's evidence that Jesus had risen from the dead, but they don't quite get it. Because as we read on, we see that finally the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. That would have been John. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. John walks in, and he sees the empty tomb, and it says he believes. But he still doesn't understand from Scripture what's going on. Even though Jesus had told them numerous times this is exactly what would happen. Back in Matthew's gospel, we read this. Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Whether it was because they were distraught, whether it was because they couldn't understand, because the dead stay dead, for whatever reason, they didn't grasp what was happening. But yet we're told that John believes. We see that John has faith, but he lacks understanding. So what do they do? They do exactly what Jesus told them to do. Go to Galilee. And as a result, they go to Galilee. Jesus keeps his promise, and he meets them there. He meets them there, and immediately with the risen Christ standing in front of them, this belief that they had that the dead stay dead is gone. Do they understand everything? No, they don't understand it at all. But here's the evidence right in front of them. The risen Jesus, showing them the nail holes in his hands and in his feet, 
and the place in his side where they had punctured him with a spear. They touched him. They talked with him. They walked with him. They ate with him. And then we're told that he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And everything changed. They went from bewildered, terrified, distraught disciples, disciples who thought the dead stay dead, to these bold group of believers that fearlessly proclaimed the gospel on the steps of the temple in Jerusalem. Proclaiming to the same people that crucified Jesus, the man that you crucified is alive. He has risen from the grave. He is the Messiah. And you killed him, but he's alive. And the people said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And that's what happened. Because everything changed. Because Jesus shows us that the dead do come back to life because he is risen. For those of you here today, call him your Lord and Savior. He has a promise for you. He says, wherever two or three of you are gathered together in his name, he will meet you there. We gather here every weekend, not just on Easter, to put Jesus to his promise. And every week he fulfills that promise and he meets us here just like he says he would. And he calls us to spend daily time in this word. The psalmist says we should meditate on this word day and night, the living word of God. And Jesus says, I will meet you here to instruct you to remind you, to encourage you, and to tell you that I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you, regardless of your understanding. But he longs to continue to give us understanding so that we would be bold as his disciples were bold to share the good news, the crazy news that Jesus has risen from the grave and everything has changed for everyone. And his hope is that you would continue to grow in your understanding so that you would be as bold as his disciples. But he also has another firm promise for those of you here this morning that maybe can't grasp that the dead don't stay dead. That you don't quite believe that. Or maybe you're just struggling to come to grips with this whole resurrection, this whole Jesus thing. He's got a a firm promise for you this morning. If you will seek me, you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Jesus promises to meet you as well. The list is long. The list is endless of men and women who have proclaimed that Jesus never rose from the dead, that it was a hoax, somebody stole the body. There's some reason because dead people don't come back from the dead. People that were convinced of that and went about to prove that, seeking after the truth. And who did they find? Exactly who Jesus said they would find. They would find him. And as a result, just like his disciples, that belief that the dead stay dead is gone. Maybe not able to explain it fully, but they believe. 
And he makes that same promise to every one of you this morning that are struggling to understand this. That if you will earnestly seek after the truth, he will meet you there. That's his promise to you. And as foolish as it sounds, as foolheartedly as it sounds that you would take after him, he promises to meet you there. I pray you take him up on his bet. Take him up on it this morning and see if he doesn't change everything. See, Jesus not only promises to meet us here in this life, to give us hope for this life, in our circumstances in this life, he not only promises to meet us here, but he also promises that upon our death that he will meet us then as well. Jesus says in John, he says, because I live, you also will live. Because I have conquered death, you will have eternal life. That this life is only the beginning. This life is precious. Do not get me wrong. This life is precious. It is a gift from God. It is to be cherished, but not worshiped. This life is only the beginning. And the other thing that Easter teaches us is that we should have a perspective, this eternal perspective of Jesus. Easter is a call to look at life from Jesus' eternal perspective because it's from his perspective that we can truly understand life. Soren Kierkegaard gets it exactly right. He says we have to define life backwards and then live it forwards. It's a destination that is the reason for the departure. It's resurrection that makes Good Friday good. It's the resurrection that defines life, that gives meaning and purpose to life. But not only to life, but to death. Because death is not the end. Death is but a comma. And we're told that there will be life after this life. And it will go on into eternity. Jesus is saying to every one of you today, from his eternal perspective, you are but a minute old. And he says, look at your life that way. Because I live, you also will live. There is life beyond the grave because Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. And he promises one day to come back and take us with him, with new bodies. And those of you that are older say, amen to that. But he has risen. And everything has changed. Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. Hallelujah. Would you pray with me?